for today. We're in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. So let's hear God's word together today. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David called him, him, David himself called him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and had the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they are contributing out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You can be seated. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the blessing it is uh, that you continue to speak to us. God, that your spirit is with us and continues to open our eyes, uh, continues to shine light on you and the truth of the gospel so that we can see you for who you are. God, I uh, like I do and feel every day, and dependent, God, so dependent on your Spirit, in weakness, in my weakness, you are made strong. God, we pray that in these moments our, our eyes will be fixed on you, that we, we wish to see Jesus. God, that is our heart. We wish to see Jesus. May your Son, your glory, your fame be on display even in these moments. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In our society, kind of our Western American world we're in, uh, somebody's status can be based on any number of things. Wealth is one of them. Somebody who's really wealthy may be seen kind of as a, a higher status in society. And if you're really, really wealthy, you might even have kind of national or international status just because of your wealth. I'm thinking of the Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett type people. They're their wealth is what they're known for, and that's what's put them at a very high status in society. Other people are known because of specific abilities, kind of uh, almost supernatural abilities. I'm thinking of athletes, people like the LeBron James or the Simone Biles of the world. That Yeah, wealth comes along with that, but primarily it's because of how good they are on the court or you know, for in the gym or something like that. Uh, that puts them at the, at the peak of their athletic ability that, that nobody could touch them. And so they're, they have a status, a, a place in society above most everybody else. Any kind of musician may be in that category too. Some kind of artist, something that they can do something other people can't. Other people, it's, a, it's an office they have or some kind of uh, position that they are in. So the, the Pope, you know, I don't know how much money he makes, but it's not really about the money, right? He has a unique office, a unique position that puts him in a status, a, a, a place where lots of people listen to him. Or, or any kind of political figure, again, money may along, come along with it, but any, any current or past president has a status that's, that's a pretty high place, what they speak, people listen, or 
even down to you know lower positions, whether it's just congressmen or state or local officials, their seat affords them some kind of status in society. In my very non-research, just non-expert non opinion, I, I feel like the thing that kind of captures those things for our society is influence. We, we look up to people who have a lot of influence. They may have gotten it in any number of ways, through wealth or their company or, or whatever else, or may just be they're really good at making creative YouTube videos. And so they have all kinds of people who listen to the either silly or interesting things that they say in the world. Our, our world, our culture, is fascinated by influence, people who have influence. In the ancient New Test ancient world of kind of of the New Testament, their, their culture was shaped a little bit differently. They were known as an, an honor-shame culture. So some of our kind of Asian neighbors on the other side of the ocean live kind of in that primarily honor-shame culture. So one just really simple, you know, illustration of that culture is that somebody, say from a, a Japanese household that raises their child they're going to be more focused on, on their, their child bringing honor to the family than how much money they make. Money may be a part of that, but they're primarily focused, one of the primary concerns they have is bringing honor to the families. The New Testament world, your Bibles were written in a time that was primarily that kind of idea, focused on not, not necessarily influence or wealth or status in those ways, but bringing honor. That was one of the primary concerns of that society. Our culture for, functions a little bit differently, but there's certainly some overlap here, and the gospel speaks into where our culture and the New Testament culture intersect. Because we too live in a world where we're constantly honoring somebody, right? Who, who are you honoring? Who do you lift up? Who do you give influence over you? And who are you influencing? Who is honored in your life? And what does Jesus think about that? What does Jesus think about how we honor and who we honor? We are in the very last part of this back and forth debate in Mark chapter 12. Really, it started earlier at the end of chapter 11 between Jesus and the religious rulers. And we saw at the end of last week, the religious rulers were kind of throwing up their hands. It said uh, that no one dared to ask him any more questions. He had answered all their questions way better than he could, than they, than they anticipated. They kind of blown him away. And so from this point to the end, Jesus is the one who gets to pick the topic. Jesus is the one who gets to set the conversation. And he sets the conversation toward honor. Toward honor. And especially the first part about the honor of the Messiah. Who is this coming Messiah? And what, does he, what status does he have? So let me ask you maybe a, a, an obvious question, but begin with, what, what kind of honor do you give to Jesus? What, what position, what status, what influence does Jesus have over your life? Does Jesus have a position of honor in your day-to-day -day life, in the trajectory, the priorities of your life, or is He somewhere else? Is Jesus more like an acquaintance? Somebody you would be polite to, you know their name, you would say hey to them if you see them out and about, but not anybody who has an authority over you, a neighbor you pass in the neighborhood, or a co-worker who works in a different department, you know their name. You say, hey, you're polite, but you don't submit to their authority. Or maybe you, you do see Jesus more like a boss. You see him as your, maybe your supervisor or maybe even your boss's boss or boss's boss's boss. But really, it's just like, I know I got to obey his laws, his rules. I know I got to do what he tells me. But if he's not looking, I mean, you know, I may could get by with that. Maybe you treat Jesus as a, 
a, a, a political candidate that you support. You know, you, you're glad that they have that office over you because you support them. And as long as they keep their agenda in line with your priorities, you're happy for them to be in office. Jesus can be king as long as he does the things that I like him to be. But then I may vote for somebody else to be king if he starts going off track a little bit. Of course, Jesus is a much higher authority than an acquaintance or a boss or a, you don't vote for kings, but a, a political figure you could vote for. He is the one and only Lord. He is the one and the only Lord. So the call from this passage today is to honor Christ as Lord. Honor Christ as Lord. We hear that in his opening teaching today out of Mark 12, starting in verse 35. Jesus taught in the temple saying, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? The debate he has here is thinking about the Messiah, the Christ. Those listening to him probably would not have all been saying, Wait, aren't you the Christ? They're confused still. They know there's a Messiah that's coming, a prophesied Messiah one who the Old Testament's been waiting on, one who would come and deliver his people. And everybody had said, he is a son of David, right? And Jesus says, wait, wait, is he a son of David? Jesus quotes David himself, but he quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 110. And David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord. So there's two different people. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. Jesus is not denying that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David, a descendant of David. Mark knows that. Jesus knows that. All, multiple genealogies in the New Testament. Everybody knows the Messiah comes from the line of David. But Jesus is making a distinction. Jesus, the, the, the Messiah is not submissive underneath David as if he was you know, somebody who's going to just follow after him and be one like him. The Messiah, the, the Christ, Jesus, is much greater. He is Lord over David himself. He alone is the Lord. Psalm 110 back in the Old Testament would have been used as a, as a coronation psalm, a psalm that the, the people would sing anytime there's a new king in Israel. So they would be talking about, they would say, the Lord, Yahweh, in, in Hebrew, in your Old Testament, in Psalm 110, Lord is even written a little bit different. In the Old Testament, anytime Yahweh, the, the, the divine covenantal name of God is in the Old Testament, your, your English translations will capitalize the O-R-D. So let you know that's Yahweh. So Psalm 110 in your Old Testament, the first Lord is Cap, the Lord, Yahweh. And then they, as, as the Israelites would have been singing about this new king, they would think the second Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, there is a different word used for Lord there, Adonai. So Yahweh said to the Lord, Adonai. So they're thinking Yahweh's saying to the new king, whether it's Josiah or Hezekiah or somebody else. That's who they think they're talking about. Those are the two lords that everybody in the Old Testament would have thought it was talking about. But Jesus says, no, there's something more going on here than just one more earthly king being put on the throne. Jesus is saying this is about the coming Messiah. And do you notice what authority Jesus has, what he, where he said this comes from? Verse 36 is a little note about the, the reason that we hold scriptures the way we do. It says, David himself... In the Holy Spirit declared. Now there's a little, a short theology of Scripture. David is the one who wrote Psalm 110. So he was a normal guy like you and me. Took out a pen or feather or whatever they used back then and used a paper or scroll or something, you know, and he wrote this down. Or maybe he told somebody to write it down. But the point is, he's the one that was the author. And yet, how did those words come out? 
They were led by the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we have a, a unique understanding of how we got this book. It came through real people like David or Moses or Paul or Mark. Real people with real personalities who lived in a real time. These are not people floating up in the sky. The Bible didn't just drop down to earth one day and just land in somebody's lap. No, these were real people. And yet, they were not just writing what came to mind that day, that uh, journal, Dear Diary, oh yeah, and the Lord said to me. No, they, they were led in a very specific way by the Holy Spirit. Was David the author? Yes. Was God the author? Yes. Both together. So when Jesus quotes Psalm 110, he's doing so referencing David, but the authority of God himself. That's what we hold over all of our scriptures. And Jesus says, Christ, David himself said, Jesus is, the Messiah is Lord. He is reigning over all things. So let me ask you, is that how you honor Christ? Do you honor Christ as Lord, being the one who is in charge of every single bit? Do we submit all of our lives to Jesus? Submission is a, is a, a word in our day and age that seems like you know, a curse word. It just has too many letters, not four letters but we treat it like a curse word. Jesus is Lord that deserves and is worthy of our total life submission because He is good. He is good. Do we reign and live for our own kingdoms or do we pursue the will of the kingdom of God? Whose priorities, whose agenda are we focused on? Our day-to-day -day lives, the vision, direction of our lives, the things that we give our whole lives to, the energy and the effort that we pour in what are we trying to accomplish in this life? Are we just pursuing the American dream that we want? Or are we submitting our lives to the Lord and saying, where you want to lead me, Lord? You're Lord of my life. You're in charge, not me. Christ is both your Savior and He is your Lord. And if He is not your Lord, He is not your Savior. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you call out to God to save you and to rescue you from your sins, and think, yes, once He rescues me, now that I have, I'm no longer guilty and sentenced to hell forever, now I can do what I want to do. I can run my life my own way. Then you've, you've misunderstood Jesus. You haven't called out to the real Jesus. You've invented some other God. Jesus is worthy of and deserves both. He rescues us and invites us to follow Him with all of our lives. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. And if He's not your Lord, He is not yet your Savior. Christ is Lord. Now, how did He get to be that way? Did He just declare that Himself? Did He just make that up? Psalm 110, quoted here in Mark 12. The Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to the Messiah, Sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies under your feet. The right hand is a, is a symbol for a place of honor, a place of power, a place of authority, and a place of being relationally close to the Father, or close to God, close to the King in that case. How, how close are Jesus and the Father? They have eternally, He has eternally, been in relationship within Himself and to the two persons there of the Trinity. There has never been a time that Jesus was not. Jesus came to earth at the incarnation. He took on flesh, 
But the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, has always been in existence. He is eternally begotten. He has always been. So the Father and Son have an eternal love. There is no one who has ever been closer to God than Jesus Christ. He is the one through whom the entire world was created, Colossians tells us. God spoke the world into existence, Genesis 1 tells us. John chapter 1 tells us. And He did it through His Son, through the Word. It has all come through Him. He has had His place of authority from before you and I were ever thought of. Jesus has been reigning forever. In addition to that, being at the right hand, He tells Him, and I will put your enemies under your feet. There's a, 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 an echo here of Genesis 3.15. Do you remember the promise that God made to Adam in the garden? There's going to be a snake. He's going to bite your heel. The descendant of, of Eve, the, the descendant of Adam and Eve, the descendant of the serpent. He's going to bite your heel, the descendant's heel, but your descendant will stomp his head. And the one who stands on the head is the one who wins. <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's going to cost you something, but you will stand victorious. To reign over, again, this honor idea, whoever's standing on the head, whoever's putting all enemies under the feet, a footstool out of enemies, that's the one who reigns. Jesus reigns because He's always been, always will be, has always been king, and He proved Himself to reign supreme when He went through the cross, the grave, and came out again, defeating sin, death, and Satan forever. Forever. Satan is done. He is dead. Just this week, I heard a pastor compare it to this. It's Jesus at, at the resurrection sliced the head off the dragon. It is dead. It is no longer... There's, there's, you have no, there's no question about who's going to win the battle. Because God has chosen in His time to tarry, we have to wait and be careful that as the dragon is falling down, the tail doesn't swipe you on the way, you know? But the battle's over. You still got to duck. You still got to trust in Jesus. But the battle is over. He, the enemies are going under the feet of Jesus forever. Jesus asks you then, how do you see Him? How do you see the Messiah? Do you see Him as Lord? Do you see Him as the one who has reigned forever and ever? Do you see Him as the one who has power over sin and death? Do you see Him as the one who deserves all your worship? Or is He just an acquaintance? Somebody you say hey to. Somebody it's convenient when you want to spend time with. Are we living for the honor and glory of Jesus? Or are we living for our own honor and glory? A life in submission to Jesus is far better. But it's so easy to be drawn into our own little world. Jesus wants to lift up your eyes, remind you of the cross, remind you of the incredible depths that he, incredible links he went to to show the depth of his love for you. He went to great lengths so you could see his life, understand who he is, know him as Savior, and submit to him and follow him as Lord. And if we are living for the honor and the glory of Jesus, then that will automatically eliminate Jesus' primary competition in our own hearts for Lord. Do you know who the primary competitor in our hearts for Lord is? Us. We are the ones, as silly as that even sounds coming out of my mouth, we compete with God, with Jesus, as Lord. And that's exactly what happens, what the group that Jesus addresses next, that's exactly what was going on 
with the scribes right around Jesus. He addressed them and called them out for their sin in this way. The Lord condemns those who seek honor for themselves. If we are honoring Christ as Lord, then the Lord condemns those who seek honor for themselves. Hear what Jesus says about the scribes. He says, beware, heads up, watch out for the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Hopefully, even, even with all the kind of the different cultural things there, you can, you can get an idea for what these guys were like right around Jesus. He says, beware of them. They like to walk around in long robes. And we don't dress, that doesn't you know, sound like something we would do, but you can imagine long robes are meant to get attention. When somebody walks in with some kind of elaborate garment, it's meant for people to say, oh, something special about them. They wanted to be clearly distinguishable. When these scribes walked in a room, they wanted you to know who they were by just what they were wearing before they even opened their mouths. They liked greetings in the marketplaces. They, they wanted people to, to, to see them and then greet them, salute them. And specifically, they even required for people to stand up when they walked into a room. They wanted that kind of honor. When they went to the synagogue, they wanted seats of honor. When they went to feast, they wanted seats of honor. In the, in the synagogues, the certain seats along the sides were places of honor, but then especially up at the front facing out toward the congregation, those were the seats of honor that they were sure to reserve for themselves. At the feast, sitting closer to the head of the table was a place of honor, and so they wanted to make sure they got close to the, to the, the honor, the, the, whoever was the guest of honor or whoever was hosting it. The closer you were to them, the more honored you were, and they always wanted to sit there. It says for pretense, they made long prayers. They, they didn't really know God. They didn't really care about Him, but they wanted to look like they did, and so their prayers were long and flowy and used big words like pretense. <laughs> I had to Google that one, you know? Pretentious. They were, they were attempting to impress others by pretending to be something that they weren't. They wanted to put on airs. They wanted to stand up and make everybody so impressed at the way that they, pray, they prayed. And on top of that, they were using their position to their advantage. They were, it says they devoured widows' houses. They were finding a way to manipulate the most vulnerable people among them. The people that couldn't defend themselves had different things going on. They, they wanted to find a way to get more money from people who were vulnerable. These scribes are the very opposite of the command that Jesus gave that we saw at the end of last week to love God and love neighbor. They didn't love God. They were just faking a relationship with God so that people would be impressed with them. And they didn't love their neighbor. They, they harmed their neighbor. They were working against their neighbor. The very opposite of what Jesus asked. Instead, they were just loving themselves. They were following their own agenda, what they wanted to do because they wanted to focus on themselves. What are our motives? What drives our actions? Why do we do the things that we do? Things as simple like this of, of a prayer. Oh, you say, they were praying. Well, that's a good thing, right? What's the motive in their prayer? Was it public to get attention? Over and over, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount about offerings and, and prayers and fasting. He says, if you're just doing this for, for people to applaud you, to just celebrate you here and now, that's all the rewards you're getting. God's not honored by that. If you're doing good things but for wrong reasons, 
That is not honoring the Lord. It's just trying to honor yourself. You're living in fear of man. You're living for the praise and the approval of other people, not for the approval of the one true Lord. What are your motives for the things that you do? Do, they, do you do it to draw attention? I think one of our greatest temptations, especially in a highly digital world, is that you can get attention for just about anything you do. Just post about it online. Text somebody about it. Get attention. It's easy to get attention. We want to make sure we get noticed. We, we probably don't put on more robes, long robes to get attention. In our world, we get less clothes. That gets more attention, right? We, what are you doing? Why do you, why do you do the things that we do? You're, the clothes you wear, the cars we drive, the decisions we make, the things we go. Are we primarily just waving a flag that says, look at me. I want some attention, please. If so, we're, we're just focusing our eyes. We're asking other people to focus their eyes on something far lesser. Instead of saying, focus on Jesus. Let our lives be about Jesus. If we're asking just for more influence to just get people to look at us, then we're living for a lesser God. And we're leading people astray. In your life, where are you tempted to seek applause, accolades, honor? Where are you looking for approval from other people? Now, it's not that getting people's applause is an evil thing. It's not that getting honors and people patting you on the back, that's not an evil thing. In fact, I think it takes a step of humility to be willing to accept people's uh, appreciation sometimes. Sometimes it's easy just to deflect that and, and, and run out from underneath it. It takes a certain level of humility to be willing to accept uh, somebody's approval. But are you doing it for the sake of getting people's approval? Are you doing the things you do, the way you go to work, the way you lead your family, the things you put online? Are you doing it just so that people will notice you and have their eyeballs fixed on you? If so, we're probably a lot more like the scribes than we care to admit. Remarkably, when we read about how Jesus lived here on earth, we see that Jesus didn't go around like these Pharisees. And of all people, He's the one that could have. He's the one that can walk into any room and impress it. Please, Jesus, let's, you put on the big robes. You stand the one. You be the one that makes all the prayers. You're the most impressive. Let's all our eyes fix on you. And yet Jesus didn't go around like these Pharisees, always begging people's attention. Jesus went around in humility. We read earlier in the book of Mark, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom. The very one who deserved all the attention, all the honor, all the praise, went around serving and loving other people. So we see here in one more section in Mark chapter 12, the very, the very one who is worthy of all the honor, you know what he does? He gives the honor away. He gives it away. We don't have to live for our, our own honor. We can live for the Lord and trust Him to take care of the honor thing all by Himself if we'll just follow Him in obedience. The end of Mark chapter 12 tells a story about a widow who makes an offering. And here's, I think, the, the, the remarkable truth from there. The Lord honors those who give sacrificially of themselves. The Lord honors those who give sacrificially of themselves. The Lord condemns those who seek honor for themselves. But those who give things away, those who sacrifice, Jesus actually comes and honors them. The scene we get is an offering at the temple. And we'll read it, uh, verse 41. And he sat opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. 
at that moment, I mean, this is Jesus and his disciples. There's, some, there's various places around the temple courts. There's different offering boxes, so to speak, which is why we have a box out there as an offering. No, I'm just kidding. That's not why we do that. But we, they, similarly, they just had a box. They didn't pass a plate. Right? The temple, they just came and dropped it in a box. And whether people were announcing loudly or Jesus somehow just knew it, he could see here's the people that are wealthy, and they, out of all their abundance, they're coming and they're giving some of that abundance to the Lord. But then Jesus' eyes, his attention is focused on this poor little widow who has two small copper coins. If you've got a study Bible, it probably tells you these were uh, leptons, these little things. They were one twenty-eighth of a day's wage, which actually sounds like more than it is. Apparently, this you could buy basically nothing. You couldn't buy a loaf of bread with this. You couldn't buy hardly anything with these two coins. But it's all that the woman had. And she gives not just one of them, but both of them to the temple. Now, what is, you say, okay, what is the temple going to do with that? You know how much electricity they could buy with that? Oh, wait, they didn't have electricity. You know how much, how much food they could provide for people with that? Nothing. What is the temple going to do with two small copper coins? Isn't this lady foolish? Shouldn't you at least hold on to that? Maybe that would multiply down the road somewhere. Why in the world would you give this to the temple? Jesus says something bizarre about the woman. Truly, 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 I say to you, this poor widow has put in more. Come on, Jesus, I took math class. <laughs> more? Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. Why was it more? Why was it more? It's not, it's not the dollar amount that was more. It's that this cost her something. It was a sacrifice. It was all she had. This woman, in remarkable faith, gives her very last penny, in a literal sense, to the Lord. Apparently, she trusted God to feed her that day. Because she now had no way to feed herself. Apparently, she trusted God to meet her needs. She trusted that God was in charge of everything. She probably had not learned the Lord's Prayer yet. But she, by her action, was praying, Give us this day our daily bread. Because i got no way to provide food for myself. I need you. Full, complete, 100% dependence on the Lord. She sacrificed all. And what did Jesus do? the one who reigns supreme, the one who was planning in just a couple days to give up his life and go to the cross and die and then resurrect and put all enemies under his feet forever. What did that honorable King Jesus do? He honored this poor widow. He drew his disciples' attention to her gift of faith. We don't know anything about these rich guys. They, they gave their gifts and went on. Jesus said, this woman. He highlights her and says, this woman is somebody we're going to remember. I, I hear an echo of what I asked Sam to read for us earlier of a, the very couple chapters later, right before he's crucified, Jesus is anointed by a woman who comes and gives an alabaster flask of pure nard and breaks it over him. And everybody's, everybody's distraught. Whoa, that's a huge amount of money that was just wasted on anointing Jesus. Do you hear with Jesus that it's not about the amount of money? That woman gave something that was worth 300 denarii, 300 days' wage, a year's worth of wages almost. 
spent on one anointing of Jesus. He celebrates her and he celebrates the woman who gives two small copper coins that you could hardly buy a crumb of bread with. Apparently, Jesus does math a little differently than we do. He celebrates these women. And in chapter 14, he says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has been done, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And even though he didn't say that about the woman in, verse chapter, in chapter 12, the same things happened. Because here we are, proclaiming the gospel, telling the story of this woman. These women, what do they do? They, what do they have in common? They gave all. They, they sacrificed an enormous amount to them for the sake of honoring Jesus. They recognized Jesus is Lord, and so they submitted their lives down to their last penny. Whether they had a lot of pennies or just a couple, they gave them to the Lord. Let me ask you about the way you give. Is it sacrificial? Does it cost you something? Whether it's the way you give at church or other parts of your life, when you give, when you take something that you have earned, by the way, it's all a gift from the Lord, right? All the Lord's anyway. But when you give, is it sacrificial? Or are you more like the rich man, the rich people who gave out of the abundance, the fat, so to speak, the overflow, what you already have? Do you give in a way that costs you something? Do you feel your sacrifice to the Lord? Or is it just the overflow? Church being, of course, one of the places that you, you give, I, I think it's a moment for me to hear to say, I, I appreciate it. The church is so grateful. You, of course, I hope you know, I, I never see what in individual people give, so I have no idea what you give. I just see the end of the month, the end of the years. I see the way that you have been faithful to Infinity Church and the ways that your giving is multiplying the kingdom of God. I see the missions we're sending out. I see the ways we're loving on teachers, the way we're loving on our community. And I see the investments we're making, the way we're purchasing land and making plans to build. And I see that you have given us the capacity to hire a student pastor, to add to our staff, and it is so, so much a gift to me, so much a gift to me to add a staff member. I see your faithfulness, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're giving. I have no idea how much of a sacrifice it is to you. Nobody knows that. You alone. That's between you and the Lord. But I see that you are giving and giving faithfully. So thank you. And I want to just tell you, we, we want to serve the kingdom of God with your gifts. We want to honor God. We want to be stewards of God's wealth and God's gifts for the sake of advancing the kingdom. Are you giving to the Lord here and other places? And if so, are you willing to do it in such a way that's sacrificial? Because that's the example we have in Scripture. Together, as we give sacrificially for the advancement of His kingdom, local church and other ways, I want to remind you that Jesus didn't just celebrate people who did this. He did it Himself. He celebrated here in this woman's life. He celebrated in the woman in, in Mark chapter 14. But he also did it himself by giving on the cross. Verse 44 very well could have been written about Jesus, could it not? It says, And they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, we'll say he, Jesus, out of his poverty, he had nothing. He, he, was, he was, had nowhere to lay his head. He was going around Home to home, he was not a man of wealth and status. He, out of his poverty, he gave everything he had. He gave his, not just all he had to live on, he gave his very life. He sacrificed all. And he's the king who deserves 
all the honor. Jesus deserved to be lifted up on a throne, and instead he was lifted up on a cross. We may miss the, the cultural difference. When we read the gospel story, we, we primarily think of the pain, the physical pain, the lashing, the nails. But you read those stories, they weren't primarily written about the pain, they were written about the shame. It was meant to embarrass. It was meant to, to take whatever teaching he had and just dismantle it. How could anything good from somebody come from somebody who's treated so shamefully? How could you honor somebody like this? Jesus was willing to lay down all of his honor to show you love. So that as, Christ, as God the Father exalted him and raised him from the dead, we forever could delight in his presence and enjoy the honor that he gives. And if we know him, we'll honor him, we'll love him, we'll trust in him. He will be our Savior and he'll be our Lord. I pray that you'll honor Christ today as your Lord.